0: Welcome to the Common Round, Medical
1: education for medical students by medical students. I'm Hamid.
0: And I'm Andy. And joining us today is our executive producer, Gautam. So today we'll be talking about... um, liver cirrhosis and its complications. it's a big topic so we're covering causes of cirrhosis clinical features of cirrhosis as well as some of the complications that you can expect patients to present with so andy can you tell me what is cirrhosis given the fact that this is the topic of our talk today. So cirrhosis is essentially
1: what happens to the liver after a certain period of damage. And there are a few things that we need to keep in mind of the characteristics of cirrhosis. So one characteristic is that it is throughout the whole liver, so it's diffuse. And then it also, convert, there is a change in the normal architecture of the liver into this abnormal architecture involving fibrosis. So essentially cirrhosis is a widespread fibrosis of the liver that that changes the normal architecture into this unusable abnormal
0: thing so without further ado I'll get Andy to um, give us a bit of an insight into the common causes of cirrhosis
1: with the common causes of cirrhosis there's quite a few in order to help us actually remember what causes cirrhosis we can use the alphabet so let's say that it starts with a and we can go all the way up to eight so starting with a a stands for alcohol so alcohol can be a large contributing factor to eventual cirrhosis. B can stand for chronic hepatitis B and uh, biliary disorders. Hamid, would you like to go through what C
0: is? Um, C can uh, also stand for hepatitis C or um, cryptogenic. Now, cryptogenic is a fancy word saying that, hey, we don't really know what causes this. It could be um, caused by doctors or it could be caused by um, factors that we're not fully aware of. And D stands for drug and toxins. So example of drugs being paracetamol, which can be extremely toxic at high doses. Mm -hmm. Uh, E can stand for Epstein-Vine virus, so the virus that causes glandular fever. F for fatty infiltration, so for diseases like non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which we can talk about. Can Mm. you remember what G and H stand for? G mainly talks about a genetic
1: component, and um, there are certain diseases that have a genetic component that can lead to cirrhosis. One of the main ones is Wilson's disease, yep. which I believe is a buildup of copper in the body, which we can talk about as well.
0: <coughs> and what's H again? Similar to G,
1: um, with the Wilson's disease, the buildup of something, but instead of copper this time, it's this time it's iron, and so this disease is called hemochromatosis, starting with H, hemochromatosis.
0: Okay, so not I then. No. <laughs> H. Okay, great. All right. So um, let's say, and if, if you suspect someone is suffering from liver disease or you know, leading up to cirrhosis, what are some of the clinical features that you might come to expect?
1: So there are a few clinical features that when we talk about cirrhosis that we should think of. But for me, instead of actually memorizing this sort of list, it's also good to just remember what the liver does and then deduce what exactly will happen. For example, one of the main things the liver does is to produce these coagulation factors. And so if you do not have, if the liver is failing with cirrhosis, um, and it's not doing its job, then you're going to have. Uh, an increased risk of bruising, as well as an increased clotting time. So that's one of the things. And let's say another one is this thing called hepatic encephalopathy, which is essentially this, from what I what I understand, is yeah. a buildup of ammonia. The liver is quite involved in the process of getting rid of ammonia, and when the liver is failing with cirrhosis, then that means that. The ammonia is going to build up it's going to go to the brain and then from that part onwards it's going to impair nerve conduction it uh cause the person to become confused i that's believe rough, as well as have some motor coordination and this thing called uh display the sign called asterixis which i
0: believe one day we shall cover in de- more detail yeah yeah exactly yeah so that's one of the clinical signs Other, i guess other types of clinical signs that you can come to expect with someone, especially if you're undertaking an abdominal exam, for example, is um, you can look for signs of pruritus, which is, you know, that itchiness of the skin due to bile buildup, which we can talk about. Oh, yeah. You can come to expect conditions like gynecomastia. So especially in men, um, because liver is also involved with metabolism and and clearance of estrogen, these uh, men with liver disease have this higher level of estrogen. And so they, you know, develop testicular atrophy. They develop um, sort of breast tissue. Um, And there's also, uh, there might be an association between spider spudanivitis which is these unique changes to or appearances, uh, of artery appearances on the chest and the upper limb and having higher estrogen level. Obviously, the more simple stuff, you can expect them to be jaundiced. So this yellowness of the skin because you're not clearing bilirubin. So there's a number of symptoms that these patients can present with. We've kind of talked about some of the very basic causes. Is there
1: there anything else? Yes, there was this one thing that I just um, remembered when you were talking was that with cirrhosis, essentially it's fibrous sort of formation in the liver so as we all know the liver is quite important for blood to go into the liver act as a filter and then um, come back into the systemic circulation when the liver is cirrhosed or becomes fibrosed the filter becomes a bit in my mind it becomes stuffy and so there is this buildup of pressure before blood goes into it this leads to this important complication called portal hypertension which will then lead to esophageal varices so esophageal varices is also a very important clinical feature of cirrhosis which I think we should mention.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we can go into it in a little bit more detail. So we've kind of I guess now we're talking about clinical features. Let's talk more in depth about the complications of cirrhosis. So the first complication, let's talk about the easy one, which yep. is this yellow, the yellowing or jaundice. And it's how, you know, it's, it's manifestation of, of this sort of complication is in patients presenting with this yellowness, particularly around the eyes. Um, but that yellowness could be evident all throughout the body. Can you remind me what is the predominant cause of cholestasis? Cholestasis is essentially a
1: buildup of bilirubin, as well as cholesterol and other components that the liver is supposed to excrete as bile into the gallbladder mm. and from later on the gallbladder into the duodenum. And it's mainly, from my understanding, it's the bilirubin itself that leads to this yellow pigmentation of the skin and the eyes. In the skin, it's called jaundice, and in the eyes, it's called icterus. If you want to be more specific, you can call it scleral icterus. Well, that, it's that's, actually what Yeah, you're that's me?
0: exactly right. I guess we need to... Dis- it's a very confusing concept. Uh, we need to distinguish between cholesterol and gallstone they're not equivalent and they're not equal they're different um, gallstones is I guess a, a pathology that can predominantly affect the gallbladder and it can lead to cholestasis okay, and yeah. it can lead to jaundice yep. but it's not if you have cholestasis that doesn't mean you automatically have gallstones okay, yep. um, it just some. It means that the liver is, is not able to adequately like you mentioned clear yeah. out the bile oh, sorry, clear out the bilirubin and so the bilirubin backs up into the systemic circulation and manifests as jaundice Okay, yeah. Another complication that you kind of alluded to was hepatic encephalopathy, which patients can present with. So they can be confused, they can be um, agitated, uh, and they can have uh, decreased cognitive awareness and yep. can be sedated. Can you just remind me again? I know you alluded to that it's about ammonia, but can you explain mm-hmm. to me why ammonia causes this in patients? What is it doing in the brain? I, I, and I know this is an area which isn't fully understood, yep. but what is ammonia doing in the brain that is leading to this sort of... Um, neurological complication of liver disease. Yeah. Uh, and I should, we should add it's end stage liver disease. It's not, you know, if you have mild liver disease, you're not going to have. Okay. Yeah. So what you're saying is that hepatic
1: encephalopathy only people who are really sick. That's right. With liver disease. Yeah we will we'll start to have these symptoms exactly and so I guess that's something important that we should um, be aware of from what I understood was that ammonia itself is a toxic product and it's toxic because it affects our neurons how exactly I'm already a bit hazy on that hammer did you yeah did you have a bit Look, more of a read it, it's
0: um, I have it's not very clear there could be a number of reasons there. one is the fact that yeah ammonia in itself is toxic another reason might be that ammonia is suspected to be metabolized into a, a neurotransmitters such as glutamine okay, by yeah. astro So the and these and by conversion of ammonia into this glutamine type uh, neurotransmitters, it can affect conduction in the nervous system. It's very vague, and I understand that, and I acknowledge how vague this is. Yep, and can lead to neurological changes and complications. So, Andy, with this in mind, is there are there any treatments for for patients with end stage liver disease who are experiencing this?
1: Yeah, well, essentially, if we're talking about a buildup of ammonia that leads to the that is the root of the cause of hepatic encephalopathy, I I think if we can find ways to actually excrete the ammonium, that certainly should be one of the um, the ways to treat this condition and also if we can also find out why the liver is failing that leads to this buildup of ammonia and treat that cause as well that would also fix the problem so for example we can treat the infection that could cause uh, this cirrhosis we can treat you can remove drugs that might have been causing liver damage that's what i had in mind yeah yeah
0: so i guess always treat the underlying cause where patients disease has really progressed and is advanced it's really difficult to sometimes treat the. i mean the underlying cause so again if they've had chronic hepatitis C and it's progressed to the stage where the liver is fibrose, it's almost, I mean, it's essentially irreversible with the exception of liver transplant. So what would happen then is that if someone... A liver transplant. Exactly that's obviously the the only form of cure for these patients. Mm. If they're experiencing hepatic encephalopathy you can give them lactulose. Uh this isn't lactulose. lactulose. Exactly yeah it's not the lactulose that is it's the same lactulose given for constipation but at a much higher dose. So you're inducing diarrhea for the same reason you explained about trying to excrete more of the uh, ammonia. But also what happens is that um, with the lactulose it can actually co- create an acidic environment to convert ammonia into ammonium which is positively charged and it's less likely for it to be absorbed. A lot of the bacteria in the gut can also form ammonia. So a, an approach to treatment which is less effective than lactulose would be neomycin or uh, rifaximine, which is a, a newer antibiotic use for that indication. So to kill off the bacteria that create the ammonia. Exactly. So that disrupts the normal flora. Obviously it's not without risk, but yep. that's another way of decreasing ammonia. The thing you might be also thinking about is that, you know, should these patients be put on a low-protein diet? And, and studies have shown this to be Uh, of no value, and it may, may in fact, increase mortality because patients with liver disease often have ascites. Their capacity to absorb food through the GIT is compromised. So you want the protein levels to be maintained Mm -hmm. because these proteins are important in in these patients. Mm. But you want to manage the bacteria that could be creating (coughs) ammonia and, and... complicating things a bit further yeah do you have anything else to add to that no actually that, that was quite comprehensive yeah so you allu- the other complication you alluded to was this coagulopathy can you remind me why that happens again
1: essentially what the coagulopathy means is that it's just a problem with clotting the liver is quite important in generating, uh, was it clotting factors? I believe. Yeah. yeah. Um, remind
0: me what the clotting factors are.
1: Yeah, the clotting factors. From my understanding, was the liver is essential to absorb fat-soluble vitamins. So that's A, D, E, and K. And K is the crucial component that we that links us to this coagulopathy. So vitamin K. Vitamin K. Yeah. But the coag- um the coagulating factors in the blood that depend on
0: vitamin is. Two, seven, nine, and 10. So Two these seven, are the key clotting factors produced by the liver. But there's also thrombopoietin, which is produced by the liver, if I'm not mistaken. And remind me what thrombopoietin does. Thrombopoietin is, I believe, was
1: involved in the process of creating platelets. Yes, exactly yep. right.
0: So that's another complicating factor. This is why these patients are at increased risk of hemorrhage and bleeding is because, for one, you don't have adequate clotting factors, but also your stimulus to produce platelets from the bone marrow is significantly reduce and as a consequence you're in a place at a higher risk of bleeding and we can talk more about why this is an important case in varices as well Mm. Um, all right so you kind of mentioned a little bit about portal hypertension but we also mentioned about ascites as well can you tell me what ascites is and how it comes about ascites is an excess of fluid buildup in the peritoneal
1: cavity the abdomen so you can see like let's say the patient with end stage or like a or the cirrhose liver will start to have this huge belly full of fluid whilst with like these skinny arms and legs. So essentially, uh, sometimes people may mistake them as, you know, having overweight or yeah. around the it, yeah. around the midline. But once you actually feel it, it, it actually is quite fluid and it's actually all water instead. Mm. So ascites is the buildup of water around the tummy. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are quite a few different reasons to why this builds up. Commonly, what we would think is that the liver is quite important in producing this thing called albumin, which is a protein. And if you think back to your physiology lectures, albumin is important, providing an oncotic pressure in, in the blood vessels. What that means is that it, prov- it provides a pressure to oncotic retain pressure, water. Yeah. It retains water in the, in the blood vessels. If the liver is damaged and it's not producing these albumin proteins, then the blood vessels, inside the blood vessels, there isn't this pressure to retain water and water leaks out. Mm, that's so true. that's what people would commonly think. But what we're told is that that's not the full entire story of why ascites develops as well and there were a few other reasons to to why to why it develops How, mm. could you think of Yeah so like that?
0: you said the first I guess the first step is again we need to emphasize that the full patho pathology and the pathophysiology isn't understood but like you mentioned the first thing is about the fact that there is low oncotic pressure that so there's less capacity for the vasculature to retain the fluid going into the abdominal uh, area mm-hmm. There's also, been kind of alluded to earlier, what we can expand on that a bit more is that portal hypertension situation. So as your liver gets progressively fibrose which is a uh, consequence of cirrhosis, the vasculature unfortunately becomes quite fibrosed as well. Now there's increased portal pressure and that pressure in addition to oncotic pressure pushes the fluid into the abdominal cavity. What that happens then is that there's going to be, um, production of local acid dilators, such as nitric oxide in the, um, splechnic arch- ar- arterials, which feed into the portal, um, systemic circulate, to, to the portal circulation. And that further reduces the volume going back into the, back into the heart. Yeah. So that reduces preload. Now, this is more of a cardiovascular physiology, but it's important to make this distinction. So once, yep. Volume going back to the heart is reduced. There's a reduction in stroke volume and there's a reduction in potential blood pressure. And so ultimately, the kidneys are affected by this because the kidneys, the liver, the heart, they're all linked through this circulature. Once the kidneys detect this low blood pressure, the renin-angiotensin system activates to uh, increase blood pressure. But unfortunately, that also increases sodium reabsorption through the action of aldosterone. And so in an attempt to restore volume and restore pressure, now we have this whole more complicated consequence referred to as hepatorenal syndrome where the kidneys could potentially have reduced circulature and reduced blood flow, yep, reduce renal function, yep. and this high renin angiotensin activity as well. I hope yep. that makes sense. It's a very complicated area. Did you wanna just add I any? would I would like to just re go through this yeah, whole thing again. That would
1: be good. Because I think this is something that we should drill into our heads and should and could be something to impress you know other people your next gastroenterologist. yeah exactly when they quiz us so three main causes three mechanisms that all ultimately lead to ascites so the first one is the, the liver stops or uh, well, has a decreased production of albumin so the the fluid is less likely to be retained in the blood vessels and the second reason is that the portal hypertension has causes a buildup of pressure within these blood vessels and pumps water out or pushes these waters mm-hmm. out. And then the third reason is because of this decreased circulation in the actual body, because most of the fluid, frankly, now is in the belly. The, the heart senses it and says, oh no, we're actually low on circulatory volume. Kidneys, please stop excreting unnecessary water. So it kicks in the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone Perfect. system yeah. to retain salt and consequently water. So these patients will, will, although they are high in sodium because the body is actively retaining it due to this excess amount of fluid that is actually being retained in the body on tests they will actually show up as hyponatremic or low in sodium yeah to an extent it's, i mean it's, it's also
0: important to distinguish mm. whether it's an actually it's a dilution of loss of sodium or there's actually sodium excretion in place but that complicates the picture a little bit it does it simply does. put it's exactly what you're talking about so the kidneys are at play here yep. portal hypertension is an issue yep. as well as the low albumin are all causative factors Those three Keep that in mind. So, Andy, let's talk about treatment because you can treat ascites. Can you remind me Mm -hmm. of some of the treatment modalities that we can use um, to manage ascites?
1: Mm. As I mentioned before about the sodium part, although technically on the... on the examinations, let's say if we do a blood test, they look, the patient will appear to be low in sodium. Essentially, keep in mind that that's just because they're retaining so much fluid, although they're actually technically a bit high in sodium, overall, it looks like they're low. So the main treatment is that the body is actually retaining, actively retaining too much sodium, causing a lot of water to also be retained. So if we actually cut down the sodium diet or cut down salt in their diets, that should help. The body won't be as effective in retaining as much water. So that's, that's one thing. So
0: so salt restriction is one treatment. Non-pharmacological treatment approach. Yeah. Do diuretics play a role in this? Diuretics do, actually. So diuretics, the role of these types of
1: drugs is to get the patient to pee out a lot of this excess water. And although in hypertension, keep this in mind, that fruzamide or like these other thiazide-like diuretics, loop-like diuretics are more commonly used. In this case, it's the non-commonly used drug, spironolactone, that's more is the active first-line treatment for um, ascites. Yeah, noise, that's salt.
0: that's exactly right. And uh, the reason for this is that the end product of the renin-angiotensin, one of the key end products is aldosterone, and spironolactone antagonizes the effects of aldosterone, thereby counteracting the so the sodium reabsorption that might be taking place. Yep. But having said that, frisamide still plays a role, especially in patients with an acute flare-up. Oh, okay. It's not the mainstay treatment, yep. but it can play a, a role in those mm-hmm. acute flare-ups. Okay, yeah. Are there any non-pharmacological treatments
1: um, for managing ascites? I would imagine that... If um, maybe a surgeon can come in and just suck out all those fluids, is there, is there a particular term for that yeah, procedure? Yeah,
0: the term for it is um, paracentesis. Paracentesis. That's when they... essentially It's called an ascites tap, uh, okay. more colloquially, and it's a, a way to drain that excess fluid and yeah. give pa- patient an immediate sense of relief. Does it is it a long-lasting effect? Uh, it, it's not necessarily. They do reoccur. The okay. key thing to bear in mind is that if you drain less than 5 litres of fluid then you don't need to give IV albumin. But if you give if you drain much more volume, yep. especially really quickly, you have to give IV albumin. Because that albumin that is given, yep. in addition, yep. uh, it can help retain some of that fluid, minimize the hypertension that patients might experience due to fluid shift. Oh, okay, yep. But also help retain some more fluid in the um, in the vasculature and prolong perhaps the risk of the ascites coming back. Yeah. But these are diuretics, salt restriction, as well as if it's really about surgical intervention or yep. a procedure might assist in alleviating their symptoms. Yes. Are there any other treatments that you can think of that we can mm, mention? Not,
1: not that I recall.
0: No. I think they're the common approaches. Yes. Alright, so the next thing we'll talk about is uh, portal hypertension. Yep. Which kind of ties back into the um, doesn't it? Yes. Can you, yeah. so when you mentioned that portal hypertension, it's not really clear how it comes about, but it possibly comes about because of that fibrotic vasculature and decreased capacity for compliance within the vasculature. Yep. So ascites is one of the complications. Are there any other sort of things that portal hypertension can lead to? Definitely. Blood
1: essentially coming from the splenchnic circulation from the gut is having a hard time going through the liver back into the systemic circulation in the inferior vena cava. So it has all this blood is starting to pull in these vessels and the pressure is building up. So one of the things is that w- with the ascites, they're going, the increased pressure is going to draw drive water out into the system. On the other one is that the, this blood is going to find a way to try and get back into the system. And luckily the body does have a few other shortcuts or less commonly used pathways to get back um, that connect this uh, splenchnik system to the actual systemic circulation. And that's essentially where this complication comes about so one of the these joint junctions between the um the uh, the circulation and the systemic circulation is near the esophagus and this leads to this thing called esophageal esophageal Varyses. varices yes what it is is the blood from the gi will go through the esophageal ve- veins and find their way back into the systemic circulation. But note that
0: these... Through the, I think, azygous veins, I believe. Okay. Um, yeah, could take blood into yep. the azygous vein then drain into the brachiocephalic or into the superior vena cava, ah. um, which then drains into the heart. So then you re- re-enter the systemic circulation. Yeah.
1: But these veins aren't actually major
0: blood vessels at all. They're And they're, they're, they're not designed small. for that purpose. They're tiny. Yeah, and, and so, yeah, you do get these varices that you mentioned. So varices is when, like, that
1: this high pressure when they find this other shortcut, that a lot of blood goes through that. Distends these vessels, puts them under a lot of pressure, and make them varicose in, in appearance, so
0: bulged and torturous and, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And is it just the esoph- esophagus that's affected, or there's we, a few I more. think the rectum is affected as well. So you can, these patients can suffer from chronic hemorrhoids, um, mm. which places them at an increased risk of bleeding. Yeah. But esophageal varices are of particular interest, Andy, uh, because of the sheer volume, but also what happens. I mean, the start. The esophagus isn't necessarily the nicest environment as well it's constantly exposed to acid from the stomach so that brings us into the complications of so uh, um these esophageal varices so what happens if it pops if it pops it's a catastrophe isn't it it
1: is they will bleed and we're talking about because a vein essentially is it's not like an artery where the wall is thick it it's got a thin wall it's not made to hold this high pressure and portal hypertension the combination of this high pressure and these small veins that were never meant to take this much volume just it just makes a huge it's it's a bad combination yeah um exactly. and also and to make matters worse, we mentioned this coagulopathy before, and that means that the patients with liver failure are going to have a more likely chance of bleeding out. And so the blood's not going to clot as easy. We've got this large volume of blood that's being bled from the esophageal varices. Actually, the mortality of this is quite high. I think
0: it's about 30 to 40%. It's very high. Up. So it's, um, it's a medical emergency. And it's one of the things that You know, uh, you can wake a gastroenterologist up in the middle of the night, and I'm sure they'll uh, be on their Ferrari straight to the hospital. (laughs) Um, Now, there's a couple of ways of managing this. One is providing high-dose PPIs. So proton pump inhibitors just to uh, dampen the acidic environment, okay. but also more uh, urgently you have to give things like um, somatostatin or opteriotide yep. is, is the is the name or the generic okay. name for it yep. to decrease circulature in, in the splatchnic blood flow. Uh, and that can help alleviate the symptoms. Yep. You, you can also do um, surgical uh, or balloon tamponade, which um, compresses the veins and tries to dampen the bleeding until yep. you can provide a more long-term intervention. But in terms of management you can actually minimize this from even occurring by p- placing patients on ppis but also on uh, beta blockers so propanolol yeah, yeah. Um, which can help decrease the portal hypertension that these that patients often experience do you yeah. have anything else that you want to add
1: no just one thing i wanted to quite clarify was that you mentioned before that the esophagus is uh, exposed to um, acidic environments from from my understanding was that usually it wasn't Unless it's a pathological occurrence, the esophagus shouldn't really come across this gastric juices, right? Was there particular reasons why you mentioned a PPI as a common uh, way to prevent this from happening?
0: Yeah, Um, you're right. I I mean, if you're getting frequent acid-con reflux into the esophagus, I mean, that suggests that they... Mm -hmm. These patients may suffer from gastric reflux disease. Yes, but unfortunately, it's not as simple as this. Patients often have, who are in this situation, can suffer from prolonged alcohol exposure and risk factors that can predispose them to this sort of bleeding. May have alcoholic gastritis or or even a small amount of leakage back into, uh, acid leaking back into esophagus can be a can be a trigger given how torturous these veins are. So you're right, there's a distinction, but there is a risk factor to okay, keep in so mind. so as long
1: as we get rid of the acid, as- uh,
0: look, minimize, uh, no, the, minimize acid, the acid, yeah, then- it could, may possibly help. It's not foolproof, obviously. Um, I don't think there is anything else to add aside from that. The fact that, yeah, esophageal varices is a key issue that we're worried about, and it can place patients at increased risk of bleeding. Mm. In, in light of that coagulopathy that often accompanies cirrhosis yeah and it's a medical it's a really serious complication that needs to be managed urgently yep. um, now
1: before we move on there, there's just this one one other uh one other complication with the portal hypertension was this thing called kaput medusae. Yes. And although it's not as serious as the esophageal varices, it is a sign though. It's a, exactly.
0: Yeah, that we need to mention. So that's, if I'm not mistaken, that's just dilated tortuous veins along the abdomen, around the umbilical or paraumbellical area. Yep. And again, that's another anastomies or it's another link of the portal system to the systemic circulation, yep. but it bypasses the portal pathway.
1: So three we mentioned so far the esophagus, the uh, the belly button and the anus and the rectum as well. As yeah. well. That's right. Yeah. So keep so that in mind. Before we
0: finish off the, the discussion, we I think it would be remiss of us not to talk about hepatocellular carcinoma. Now we'll talk more about this when we talk about cancer. Yes, but it needs mentioning because uh, cirrhosis does predispose you to an increased risk of hepatocellular carcinoma, uh, and a couple of ways of monitoring that is obviously doing ultrasounds six monthly ultra ultrasounds. In fact. Also, um, uh, examining the blood for a, mark, a tumor and relatively non... It's not a very sensitive marker, but it okay. can give you clues. Yep. AFP is the marker that you look for. Mm-hmm. Um, its sensitivity for cancer in the liver is about 60%. So it's not mm-hmm. the most sensitive, but it gives you a clue. Mm-hmm. So these patients that at an increased risk of carcinoma, so they mm-hmm. need to be monitored every six months by ultrasound and having six-monthly six um, AFP blood. Uh, marker as well yeah I think we'll leave it at that because that's going to be a whole topic on itself when we talk about yeah in the context of oncology yeah but we'll leave it at that so Andy do you want to just quickly summarize what we've talked about just so the uh our audience know, knows yep. I guess where we're at okay so we started
1: off talking about the causes of cirrhosis so it goes from A to H and we can look into our handouts just to remind us what exactly those ones were yeah yep and then we also talked about this clinical features of cirrhosis And we basically elaborated on them a bit more later on. So the clinical features to remember, let's say we've got this thing called spider nevi. We've got uh, possibly gynecomastia, hypogonadism in males. Bruising, things like that. Coagulopathy leading to the bruising. Encephalopathy, which could lead to uh, the asterixis, muscle wasting. Confused state of mind, all of those. Appearant jaundice, etc and then we went through the various complications in a bit more detail. Hepatic encephalopathy, coagulopathy, ascites, portal hypertension. We mentioned the hepatorenal syndrome and finally the hepatocellular the carcinomas. And yeah, if
0: you if any of
1: that was a bit unclear, feel free to re-listen to the particular segment or um, drop us an email. Yeah,
0: that's probably the way to go. Yep. So that's, um, uh, that brings this episode to an end. Um, please, uh, if you have any questions or feedback or if you've made any glaring errors, do let us know. We're yep. always here to improve. Yep. And we'll catch you next time. Thank you. Catch you next time.